love the Raiders. Most of all, I love the win. You're now listening to State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Nguyen, and Deshaun Reed on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Wynn, Deshaun Reed. And we're all gathering here to blame Vic. That's just what we're about today. We're about to blame Vic. The guy last week put it in the universe that the Raiders should get rid of Rodney Hudson. What did the Raiders do this week? They got rid of Rodney Hudson. They were going to cut him. They agreed to a deal to cut him. And they traded him to the Cardinals. All because Vic put it in the universe. The most obvious one is Rodney Hudson. I mean, Rodney Hudson's great. And everyone, he's, I'm not saying he's a great player, but I think of all the young players in their team who they feel the most comfortable in as far as confident they can step in and do a good job. I think Andre James, you're very high on Andre James, which I think it makes it weird that they spend all this money on the center. And they have one who's dirt cheap who they think can do the job as well. So I know it's not the same level as Rodney Hudson, but to me, that'd be a much more obvious move to make if you're trying to trim your offensive line salary cap assignment. Vic. Defend yourself. Why did you get rid of Rodney Hudson? I appreciate both of you guys putting out there on Twitter what, what, what happened. Now, blame Vic. I'm like, oh, thanks, guys. I appreciate that. <laughs> I mean, that's um, my immediate reaction. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know, man. I think, uh, you know, we the tea leaves, I think, uh, I, and people think I was nuts, but Andre James, like, they're really high on the kids. So I think um, you look at Rodney Hudson's deal, and he wasn't happy. He was definitely getting frustrated. One winning season and six here. I think, um, you know, the way the talks have gone with, you know, Trent Brown and Gabe Jackson, there's some bad feelings among the O-line. So, uh, he was looking for a change. And John, like normally, maybe a couple of years ago, would definitely uh, uh, fought it because he said many times he loves Rodney Hudson, the way he plays, the way he studies the game, and what he does for an offense. But, yeah, Rodney's 32. Like, they want to, you know, get the streamline, kind of make the offensive line a little more efficient, a little cheaper, uh, and spend some money elsewhere. So, they're like, cool, let's do it. And then they're going to cut him. They had agreed, both sides had agreed on, uh, God, my days are mixed up. Was this Tuesday? Both sides agreed to cut him. And then uh, the Cardinals were smart and they jumped in. Well, wait, 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 wait. wait. We, we could use a center and uh, we'll give you like a pick form if you don't cut him. And so, uh, fortunately for Rodney, I think he's happy. He's okay with Arizona. Would have sucked for him if he thought he was going to be able to choose his place where he wanted to go and then got traded somewhere bad. But Arizona's a, an attractive team, uh, good location, so I think he's all right. I mean, in terms of the salary cap and how this affects the Raiders, obviously um, the Raiders still get a, a, about a $12 million cap hit. Uh, the way these deals work, you know, yes, Arizona takes over his contract, but uh, any bonuses, you know, signing bonuses, that kind of stuff, uh, restructure bonus, you, those get spread out over the length of the contract. So that's why the Raiders still have a, a dead cap hit. Um, but 2022, when uh, <laughs> I guess maybe we're building toward 2022 now, I don't know, but obviously it clears up the cap space for 2022 um, when presumably with the new NFL TV contract and and as fans back in the stands, uh, hopefully uh, the, con- the, the salary cap will go up. So, hey, get ready for 2022, right? <laughs> yeah, I think that was my biggest takeaway from this trade is, um, well, I'm sure they, they still want to win this season. It seems like they're pushing their chips to the table in 2022 and, and trying to focus on, on making a push for it or really go for it in that year. You look at the other signings that they've made so far in free agency, it's a lot of one-year deals, two-year deals with like guarantees for the second year outside of outside of Yannick. We'll talk about that later, but it really seems like they're kind of loading up for next year. That's probably when they have to make the decision about Derek Carr, his long-term futures and in which way they're going to go. And so obviously they won't say that they're bailing on this season upcoming but 
Um, the way it's looking, like if you just look at the roster today compared to where it was going in the last season, obviously they can still make some more moves, but I think they might have taken a, a step back overall as a team. And so maybe they're okay with that if it means setting themselves up for bigger things in 2022. Yeah, I mean, and you start looking at 2022 costs, you mentioned the decision on Derek Carr. What do they do there? Do they extend him at that point? There's also an upcoming cost on the offensive line, Colton Miller. I mean, I don't think he's going to get Trent Williams top of the market money, but he's going to get over 15, 18, I don't know, whatever. But we'll see what the market's like by then but he's going to get a, a pretty big contract extension just as a, a guy that I think they view as a, as a franchise left tackle. If, if he can make the next step and be a pro bowler next season, that would help out his uh, market. Sure, they would have the option of a fifth year option for next season but um, that is a, a future cost there but yeah I mean it, it does feel like I mean obviously uh, the offensive line is going to be cheaper with you know guys like Andre James uh, they brought back Richie Incognito on a cheap deal Gabe Jackson gets traded to Seattle after he did not want to restructure and uh, we'll figure out what they do at right tackle they still don't have one you know they also push some money into the defensive line they made a bunch of defensive line signings too so I do think that, you know, you guys are right. They are pushing the chips towards 2022. But at the same time, I think one of the things that they really wanted to do this um, offseason was to invest more into the defensive line. That's one of the first things Gus Bradley mentioned when he was hired. So they got Inakwe, in who is a, you know, pure pass rusher uh, type. And they got they got some D tackles, no stars, but guys that uh, can contribute and, and add to the defensive line depth and give you some pass rush juice. Um, so, you know, I think the Solomon Thomas signing was interesting. Um, I, I think, you know, he's purely an inside guy. I just don't think he could play an edge, but, uh, he, he, you know, he's been through some things. He went through a family tragedy, he was injured last season. Uh, so I think if he focuses just inside, you know, there's some ups, upside there. So I, I think, uh, the defensive line is better. The offensive line, I mean, if they draft a right tackle, is it going to be that much worse than it, it, it was last year with all the injuries that, they went through and they, they still were able to perform with all those offensive line injuries. Yeah, I think that, I mean, at this point, it seems pretty cool. I mean, I guess they could go try to free up some money to get somebody like Mitchell Schwartz. But past him, it's really just guys that are best suited as swing tackles left in free agency. So they almost have to draft a right tackle. And you would think that would that would be done with that 17th overall pick or I mean, with this, you know, additional compensation they got for, for Rodney Hudson, they have an extra third rounder. And then Gabe Jackson trade, they got an extra fifth rounder. So if they want to try to swing a, a trade with some of those extra picks and move up higher in the first round to get a guy that they really like, um, you know, if they fear he's going to be off the board, they could do that as well. But, yeah, it's looking like as far as right tackle goes, they're going to have to draft one. Yeah, I think they'll have their pick of right tackles at, at 17, too. Um, you know, the two top – uh, tackles the two left tackles Anthony Slater and, and Sewell those guys are going to go way before the Raiders pick uh, but I think they'll have Anthony Slater pick. man we're, 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 they're drafting Anthony Slater man that's uh that, we can, they can't steal him off the the Warriors beat from us oh oh what's his first name you know Rashawn, Slater from Rashawn. Northwestern yeah Rashawn, Rashawn Slater <laughs> not our guy he, he's too small <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but uh yeah, I, I think they could draft a really good right tackle, and they wouldn't be reaching because I think there's there are some tackles that should be going around the range of the the Raiders pick. But I mean, there's always a possibility that Raiders just end up picking like a right tackle nobody's ever heard of in the first round too. Uh, but I think they'll have some good choices there. Yeah, Slater might go a little bit higher. So, um, but Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State, he's another guy that that started at right tackle in college that. Um, he's a little bit bigger too. Um, I think Schlater, there's some concerns whether he's more of a guard at the next level, but I think Jenkins is more yeah, to put, prototypical tackle. So 
if he ends up falling there, that that also be a good pick, I think. Yeah, Slater, Slater's not really a Raider offensive line. He doesn't fit that mold. Um, I, I like Jenkins better. I was going to add, I think the worst case scenario isn't that bad. I think I think uh, Denzel Good's shown he can play right tackle if you need be. If you have Simpson go at guard uh, with uh, Richie, and you can have Denzel start at right tackle until maybe if you had wanted to pick a tackle on second or third round, that guy wasn't a ready opening day, I think Denzel would be fine uh, for a while at, at right tackle. Yeah, I think he'd be fine there, but my issue would be that interior. Yeah, Andre James, his first year really starting, and then John Simpson, you know, he had a couple spot starts last year, but he'll also be first year starting at right guard. Incognito's 38, what if he gets hurt again? So that interior would be really, eh, I don't know. I think I'd want to at least assign another veteran tackle as like an insurance policy. Right. Um, so that, sense. you know, if they need good on the inside, he can go back there. Yep. If we trust the Raiders scouting, then Andre James should be at least good if we trust what they if they believe what they believe. Yeah, we have plenty of reason to do that. Yeah, it's just trust trust yeah. Tom Cable, not the scouting. It's all that's that's Cable's guy and he's yeah, the guy who's cable, cable. He's done a good job over the years, like Deshaun mentioned when they had to you know, guys had to fill in and had some injuries. The guys have stepped up and played pretty well. So I think Tom's done a good job. So mm-hmm. obviously they have confidence he can get this group ready by opening day. Yeah, I mean I think if if you have any if you have confidence really anybody with the Raiders right now, it's in Tom Cable. Um but Vic, let's talk a little bit about Gabe Jackson. Gets dealt uh for a fifth round pick. Obviously the the word came out, I think last week, whatever it was, that they were going to cut him. Uh they held on to him and and they've got this big offseason strategy that they're um, really applying with several players. And he was one of them. Trent Brown was one of them before he got traded where they're guys that they don't want to pay what they're uh, what they were set to pay them. And so uh, their plan was we're going to we're, we're going to get rid of this guy, but we actually kind of would like to keep him if we can get him at a better price for Gabe. He was due 9.6. They wanted him to play at five and they weren't going to cut him until he agreed to a restructure or maybe it got just too late and, and all the money is gone in free agency and training camp rolls around and he's not going to come and whatnot. And, and then they'd cut him. Um, they end up finding a deal. They get a fifth rounder. I, you know, you wrote that that's not great value for a seven year starter, but at least it's better than nothing. Um, I mean, what, what went wrong with, with the whole Gabe Jackson thing and, and uh, why is he now gone too? Well, I think it's an interesting strategy. They've pretty much told these guys and, uh, um, you know, Trent, uh, Rodney, not Rodney, but Gabe uh, and uh, to some extent to uh, Mariota, like, you know what? We overpaid you. We gave you way too much money. So how about now you give us a little <laughs> bit back and come back for us. We love you. We love you. We, we, we still love you. We want you back. You know, always uh, Raider, yada, yada, yada. But we need you a little less money. So how about that? And then these players like, you know, if you're Gabe Jackson, you're like, man, I'm going to take a $4.6 million pay cut when I, like, played Hurt all of 2019. I mean, that's not something they want. Plus, like he's shown, he has value. I mean, obviously, even with his contract, Seattle wanted to trade for him. So he knows his value. So I think he wasn't going to do it. And their plan was pretty much, you know, to kind of force his hand and hold on to him until either he restructured or they cut him at camp. Well, Trent Brown, they're going to keep him until camp and cut him cut him then and when the market was dry. So um, this whole thing kind of snowballed pretty quickly. They, you know, Rodney Hudson wanted to go, so they found a trade partner for Rodney Hudson and Gabe Jackson was the same kind of deal. So they were able to get draft picks for guys that weren't going to be back. So I guess that's the uh, 
the silver lining. But why did they tell them that they were going to release him? Like, why didn't the idea of trading them come up sooner? Because I felt like that might have hurt their value a little bit. Again, they thought these guys would want to restructure. They thought Gabe Jackson, maybe, oh, he's okay. been there seven years. You know, he and Derek Carr get along good. He's got friends in the O-line. He's like, you know, you got some ties here. Maybe he'd want to come back and, and have a chance to win with this group. But I think the, the number, the pay cut was too severe. I think, um, yeah, I just think that they um, – they were kind of in a weird place. Like, 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 like Jimmy said, they like the, like these guys. They, they obviously they pay for them a lot of money, so they obviously like them. But not at this current value. They wanted to bring them back at less. So it got, and they thought it kind of got ugly. I mean, I think they they probably thought it would be um, a little smoother than it was. It wouldn't be like you know so hostile. But obviously, Gabe Jackson right away when they put out there the the offer to restructure, his agent came back. You know what? He's going to be cut. He, he's done. So that kind of leaked out around the league. Like Gabe Jackson's going to be cut. So. They never considered a restructure for even a second. So I think that may have surprised the Raiders a little bit. Yeah, I'm just surprised that the Raiders like expected guys like Trent Brown, Gabe Hudson to take these pay cuts. I mean, typically when you see that happen, it's more so guys that like may not have obviously Trent Brown was different because he'd been injured, but for Hudson and Jackson, you know, you typically try that approach with guys that hadn't been good the year before. And you know, they might be afraid they can't go get that money elsewhere or land with another team or might be out of the league or if you know a team that's, that's won recently, like the Chiefs or the Patriots or somebody like that, and you know you want somebody to stay a part of the winning culture and take less money to come back and stay a part of that. But you know when you're a team that's been losing or around 500, and you know these guys, especially Hudson, you know if he hit the market, he would have been swooped up immediately um, or almost immediately. Like I don't know, I just don't know why they thought that guys would would take less money. I could see Trent Brown out of the three, but the other two is just kind of kind of strange to me. I think the one thing they were thinking was that, you know, this year is so weird because of the salary cap being reduced. If you can convince these guys to come back in for one year, have a big year, hit the market next year when the market, you know, the salary cap is going to be huge next year because of the TV deal. This is kind of prove it for them for, for around the league. Like, you know, come back, play here, we win, yada, yada, yada. But if you don't want to stay here next year, you'll have big time value on the market. You played well, you have big time value on the market next year. Especially with Trent. Trent Brown, they figured he had no, no other options. His, his deal was so big, and he was hurt last year at the COVID stuff. There's whispers about his, you know, conditioning, his commitment. So that's a guy who's going to want him at that contract. But, you know, I think Trent yeah. may, have, may have known this, that the Patriots know him pretty well. They know all his baggage. They know he's really good when motivated. So they jumped at the chance to trade for him. If not them, then they probably still have Trent Brown right now. But his former team stepped up. And he's obviously thrilled to be back there. So I'm wondering, how will this play in the locker room? How will this play within the culture of this team? I mean, the rest of this roster knows what happened with these guys, know how they were approached by this team. And, you know, they're they're going to learn about that. This was the approach these guys were going to take where, hey, we're going to we're going to keep this guy around until training camp and then we'll ditch him. I mean, are we worried about how this is going to affect the culture of the team? I mean, there there got to be players on this team that are sitting there looking at their contract wondering, man, are they going to play that game with me next year? Yeah, I do think there are some human elements to this that kind of get overlooked in the business of football. You know, I haven't been around the team as long as someone like Vic, but get rid of guys like Hudson and, and Jackson that, you know, I'm, I'm sure are beloved throughout the locker room and it, it become a part of that team culture. And you just, you know, especially when they're both, like I said, I think they both started all 16 games last season. They both played at a pretty high level. And you ask those guys to take pay cuts or, or ship them out if they don't, I like guess, you know, <laughs> And then we, have, we see how the Derek Carr situation is. He's basically on a, a year-to-yield type type situation. So, I mean, they don't really have any established building blocks of the team that have any sort of certainty moving forward into the future. And that's got to – you would think that would reverberate throughout the roster. Uh, I agree. I think it, it's definitely worrisome, you know, as far as locker room morale, especially when you lose a guy like 
Hudson the way you did. So we'll see what, what happens. But and, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen in the locker room. But I can't, you know, imagine a world where it doesn't affect the guys in the locker room and, and what they think about this team and their future moving forward. Yeah, I was going to say, I think players know it's a business. And I think if, say, a player had a problem with it and they approached Mike Mack or, or John about it, I think they would say, look, we're trying to win. And this, we had these assets. We're trying to figure out the best way we can use these assets. And that was what we came up with. So we're trying to, you know, everything we do is trying to win games. So I, and I don't think, I think there's, there's such a turnover in this locker room every year. Like so many new players mm-hmm. come in every year that maybe a lot of guys don't know the history. They don't know what <laughs> happened two years ago. They don't know, like, like Gabe Jackson was here seven years. They have no idea. Like, oh, Gabe Jackson? Uh-huh. So I just think that, you know, it's a whole new culture every year with this team because they bring in so many new guys. I think, you know, there's only what now? There's only, with Eric Harris leaving today for Atlanta, there's only three guys left from 2018. Derek Carr, um, Nicholas Morrow's back, and Jalen Richard. So that's a pretty amazing turnover in just in three years. All right. Well, that's a perfect transition for us to get into their free agent additions. And uh, it, it kicked off on Monday. Uh, we, we were all grumbling about, hey, it's a slow start, first couple hours. And then the Raiders signed Yannick Ngonkwe, agreed to the deal with Yannick Ngonkwe. Uh, a two-year, $26 million deal, I believe, fully guaranteed. Looks like it's going to be kind of an even cap hit, I think, of $13 million each year. He's a guy that... Uh, has never had fewer than eight sacks in a, in a season. Uh, last year, he played for two different teams. Uh, he was with Minnesota and Baltimore, had a, a combined total of eight sacks. Um, I mean, you look at his whole career. I mean, eight sacks as a rookie, 12 sacks and, and a Pro Bowl the second year, nine and a half in 2018, eight in 2019. Um, so, I mean, he's not, you know, elite top of the top of the market edge rusher in terms of a guy that is every year double digit sacks but um for this Raiders team a a guy that can get eight to ten sacks is a pretty big deal yeah I I think he's you know he's a little one-dimensional like he's not really good against the run but he provides exactly what the Raiders need he's one of the best pure pass rushers in the league uh Brandon Thorne does a, a thing called the sack score and he you know you get rewarded for high quality sacks against you know one-on-one against a quality tackle rather than just cleanup sacks and uh he's up there with some of the best uh pass rushes in nfl so uh and i thought his contract was pretty fair too i mean after seeing what leonard floyd is making with the rams and some some other pass rushers uh you know i, I think he, he came in at, at a pretty fair price so I, I think it's a good fit for the raiders yeah he's not a you know a top of the market edge rusher, but they didn't pay him like one. And I think that's the most important piece of this, given, you know, some of the contracts that they've handed out in recent years that haven't worked out. I mean, it's only a two-year deal, um, $13 million a year. It's fully guaranteed. But, um, you know, as we said throughout this podcast, you know, the, the cap is expected to surge, um, you know, next year. And, and they've made some moves to free up space. So it shouldn't be as big of a deal when it comes to their plans for that year. And, you know, if it works out and he plays the way he did, you know, when he was at his best in, in Jacksonville, when, when Gus Bradley was the coach, then, uh, you know, maybe they may move forward with another deal, you know, moving forward. And so um, I think it's a, a pretty good move. You know, it, it may not you know change their life on the defensive side of the ball. You know, the, the defensive line, I still think, you know, is better than last year with some of the other moves that they made. But um, it's still a work in progress for sure. And it kind of depends on. 
um, you know, if he can return to his old self and, you know, whether those those young guys they have like like Cleveland Farrell and Max Crosby can continue to develop in year three. Yeah, I thought it was a good signing. I thought, like these guys mentioned, I thought it was a fair price. I think he definitely um, has a really good skill. He definitely gets after the quarterback. I think he fits in well as far as you mentioned, Cleese. Cleese played better against the run than against the pass. So and then Max is, uh, you know, played hurt last year, but he's shown he can do both. So I think that's a pretty good mix there. I think obviously you play one other guy. I'm not sure if Arden Key's the, the fourth uh, end or if they bring somebody else in. But, um, yeah, I think definitely the pass rush was the biggest need. And now you also um, you avoid having to rely on finding a guy in the draft. The draft, you know, it's tough to find the young guys in the draft. This year wasn't a great class or some Some guys are I liked, but at 17 it was like, eh, I'm not sure that guy will be able to come in right away and make a, a huge impact. So I think you answer that problem. Now you can focus on other areas in, in the draft. Yeah, you know, the other thing I like about Ngankwe is kind of when you look at his career line, uh, he's played – 16, 16, 16, 15, 15. He's been, you know, he's only missed two games. And, and last year he played 15. I don't know if the trade uh, maybe is a part of why he didn't play in one game. I'm not sure what, what the one game he missed was last year. But, um, you know, so he's durable. He's been durable at least through the first five years of his career. And uh, 18 career forced fumbles. He had a career high six back in 17. So he, he had four last year. Um, you know, that that's a big way to impact the game. I mean, if you if you have eight sacks, but four of them are strip sacks that you know lead to to turnovers. Uh, I mean that 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 can be huge. And uh, the Raiders, we know, have struggled to force turnovers in recent years. And uh, so getting a guy that can maybe be a, a turnover machine would be helpful. Yeah, I don't think it's a, a red flag. It's a small thing. Maybe it's like a maybe it's a pink maybe it's a pink flag. <laughs> Is that um, He's on four teams in seven months. And I'm not thinking, I don't think there's nothing off the field as far as why that happened. But to me, that's a little concerning because you got to figure none of those teams want to keep him. None of those teams like them enough to like, this is our guy. Let's keep him here. So to me, that's a, I mean, I understand it's contract based and things happen, but that's a lot of teams in seven months. Just just say it, Vic. You, you, you know what you want to say is his bum was a little warm in this place. Just- yeah, I mean, of all of the dumb things I've said in this show, that might be the <laughs> dumbest thing I've said. I can't, I can't shake and that stupid. And it's lingered. It has lingered, yeah. The image of Paul Gunther's warm bum has lingered over this podcast for a year now. Oh. All right, let's talk about the the other guys they brought in. Uh, they needed help at wide receiver after losing Nelson Aguilar to the Patriots. Uh, what did he get? Uh, I think thirteen million a year, up to thirteen million a year, but I think eleven million is is kind of the base there. Um, which was, I, I mean, I think we'd all agree that. That was probably a salary that the the Raiders were smart not to pay. Uh, but they bring in John Brown, former Bills and Cardinals receiver, speedster, a uh, guy who w- was hurt last year and missed some time, but has two thousand yard seasons under his belt. Uh, I mean, I think he's a good fit. They they got him at a at a much better price than Aguilar, um, and and I think uh, I think that was a good signing for the Raiders. Yeah, I like it. Um, I think yeah. he's um, before he got hurt last season that he probably was a better player than Aguilar so far throughout his career, and you know he's he's kind of. Uh, you know, similar in style, I guess, to Henry Ruggs, you know, both 5'11 uh, speed guys. But I think he's obviously, you know, a more complete receiver at this stage in his career and can do some other things. So uh, I don't know how much they want to line him up at traditional X. I, I still think, you know, Brian Edwards might be technically the starting receiver there. But, um, you know, I think he can kind of take on that role that they initially planned for Aguilar last year, kind of being that rotational receiver that can come in either for Edwards or Ruggs if needed in certain packages and, and kind of be more of a complimentary guy than being – um, you know, an every down starting receiver for him. Yeah, I, I was a little surprised uh, with the John Brown signing because, like you said, he his skill set is a little repetitive when it comes to uh, 
to rug skill set, but he is a, a more complete receiver at, at this point of his career. And, he, and he, I think he's pretty good Nelly replacement as far as his ability to get deep and uh, his production. Um, and to get him at that price is, is, is a pretty good signing. Uh, but, uh, you know, I thought they would go after a guy that does fit that X mold a little bit more that could be a little more physical in case uh, Brian Edwards doesn't work out or, you know, he, he gets hurt again. Um, but I, I guess they're okay with Waller just being that guy that could um, that could win in the short area of the field and the intermediate area of the field and, and get those first downs. Brown counts as part of the leadership fund. He's going to be the guy that's going to groom rugs because they've got to have somebody to show rugs the ropes, right, Vic? Yeah, I remember way back in the day, I remember reading about uh, John Brown who's in Arizona as a rookie. He would babysit Carson Palmer's kids. So obviously he definitely has some experience <laughs> Uh, watching young people. Um, oh wow! How about that? Yeah, it's a good trivia. Huh? Only only on this uh, on this podcast you get that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, as far as the X stuff you guys mentioned, I think to me it may show that the Raiders are probably higher on Edwards than they are in Rugs. I think they probably have less doubts about Edwards being uh, able to to have a big year. I think there's probably a little bit of concern still about Henry. I think um, also that before they signed John Brown, they they were in on Marvin Jones. Uh, so. Yeah, there's some thought before this free agency they might just go with the guys they had last year, bring another young guy or bring another guy to kind of, you know, back up these guys. But Marvin Jones and John Brown are going to play, either one are going to play a lot. So to me, it shows that they may not be totally um, happy or excited about where the young guys are as far as being positive they can be top flight guys in the, in the NFL. That's not good. Yeah, I mean, Edwards, you know, he was hurt most of last year. I know obviously we got caught up in his training camp buzz, but he really didn't do much last season out of catching that, the touchdown came against the Broncos and then the final game of the season, I believe that was. Um, so he's mostly potential at this point. I think, you know, Ruggs, he didn't have a great rookie year, but he showed enough for them to be more favorable, have a more favorable view of him than Edwards, I would think. But yeah, I mean, uh, you know, when it comes to between the two roles that, you know, John Brown could potentially feel on the outside. He would be a better fit for the stuff that Ruggs does more so than, you know, what they'd be asking out of Edwards. But I think uh, Ted made a good point of, you know, Darren Waller is basically their their number one X receiver anyway. And, you know, last year, I believe they were dead last in wide receiver targets in the league. Um, so they don't t- throw a ton to their receivers um, along with that, probably because they line up Waller so much at the X. Um, and we'll probably see Foster Monroe get some more time this year as well in the passing game. And so, Maybe they feel like it's just not that important of a position in their offense. I was going to say, I think Zay Jones coming back is kind of a big deal. I think they like Zay Jones a lot as far as insurance guy. I know he wanted to pay. I haven't seen his contract, what he got, but I know he wanted to pay raise. So I'm curious what he got. But they think he's, you know, a legit number two, number three guy in terms of, you know, the NFL, a guy who can definitely come in and make plays. I know Derek Carr is very comfortable with him. And the coaching staff likes his experience and his, his, his savvy. So I think that's also a big deal. I know people look at that. I tweeted yesterday how they were setting out a receiver and people lost their minds because it's not a really impressive list, but it's not a bad list. I think you mentioned, like you mentioned Waller. You have Waller on the side of it looking at Brown, you know, Ruggs, Edwards, Renfro, and Zay Jones. I think that's pretty good. All right, let's talk about their other defensive line additions. Uh, Quentin Jefferson, Solomon Thomas. Thomas, the former number three overall pick to the 49ers who – 
obviously disappointing career with the Niners and he's coming off a torn ACL and then uh, Quentin Jefferson uh, giving them an, an interior pass rusher. I mean, Thomas is a guy that is, is a tweener, always has been a tweener. He, the, the Niners drafted him as a defensive end. Um, he really excelled more at Stanford as an interior pass rusher. And, and the Niners did find time uh, kind of over his tender there to, to use him more on the inside. Um, he's probably a rotational guy, but uh, we figure, I mean, Jefferson probably should slot in there uh, next to Jonathan Hankins as uh, one of the starting tackles. Yeah, he, he seems like he could be a starter, but I think you know I think there would be a, a legit competition for that um, that one tech three te- or, or three tech spot. Hankins would probably play one tech, but yeah, I, I thought Hurst play was playing well before he was hurt, and you know his, his play fell off a cliff after uh, he got hurt and came back. Um, Irving was probably going to be in that mix too. Uh, so, you know, I, I think there will be some competition for that three-tech spot, but Jefferson probably is going to be uh, in the lead just because of his experience uh, in Bradley's system. Yeah, I'm pretty confident saying Jefferson will be the starter. And you would think those three kind of competing for the backup spot there. Obviously, they need a, a backup behind Hankins as well. He's not going to play every snap. But, um, you know, between Hurst, Irvin, and then Thomas, you know, one of those guys may not make the final roster, you would think. Um, you know, I don't know if you necessarily need to carry – and, you know, they also brought back Kendall Vickers. You know, he's in that mix as well. You definitely don't need six defensive tackles probably. So, you know, I'm sure those guys will be competing for roster spots. All the signings so far, the one I like the least, Solomon Thomas. Uh, I don't like that one. I think, um, to me, the only reason they pretty much – I haven't seen the contract. They say it's up to $5 million, so we'll see what how much of that was incentives. But to me, the only reason they pick him is because he's a former first-round – they love former first-round picks, but here's a guy who – didn't do anything with the Niners. He's the best defensive coordinator in the league and never, to me, showed anything at all. So, I mean, I know he was hurt. I know he's a great guy, but we'll see. I mean, but to me, it's just a really it's an old-style Raiders signing where it's not based on any recent film. All right, as for the guys that the Raiders brought back, you know, we talked a little bit about the offensive line. Obviously, they brought back Denzel Good. They brought back... Richie Incognito, um, you know, you already mentioned Zay Jones. Uh, Nicholas Morrow uh, comes back at linebacker. I mean, we know their defense wasn't great. Their linebacking core was, you know, not great. But they're basically running it back with uh, with Kwiatkowski, Littleton, and Morrow as Morrow comes back on a one-year deal. I wasn't aware of it beforehand, but I read Morrow is from St. Louis, so he's my favorite player on the roster now. But, uh, <laughs> no, I think that's uh, – <laughs> Solid value for him. You know, he was probably their best linebacker last season when you consider how often Kwiatkowski was was hurt early in the season and, and how bad Littleton played. And, uh, you know, Gus Bradley doesn't use a ton of three linebacker sets, but, that you know, they still play a 4-3 three, three base. And so, um, you know, obviously he'll be the third starter when they go to that look. And, and also, you know, providing some depth behind uh, Littleton at that outside linebacker spot. Uh, even middle linebacker, I think, can play some there as well. I think they may need one more. Because uh, I, I think Tanner Muse, you know, just going to be a special team player. So they, they probably need special one more. team war daddy. Yeah, yeah. So then, you know, whether it's through the, you know, maybe a mid round guy in the draft, Gavin White, maybe him, you know, but I think they need one more guy. But I think uh, Moreau is a nice, nice keep as that third starter. I was surprised at the contract. It was, it was at four and a half million for, for one year. Uh, to me, obviously, yeah. he wants to get back in the market next year, which is fair. But if that's the case, I wouldn't have given him four and a half million dollars. I mean, if I'm going to give him. I want time up a little longer if I don't think he's a piece of the puzzle. So I thought it was a little much for just a one-year deal. Uh, good for him, though. I think he definitely he earned it. I think, um, and obviously, he's one of the guys who spoke up last year about the lack of accountability. So it's good to see one of those guys back. You know, I mean, uh, Nelson left, but good to see that uh, they brought someone back who definitely had uh, 
some conviction and some belief this team can, can be a little better and it should be better. All right, I think that's it in terms of uh, re-signings. Uh, anybody else they brought back yet? I don't. I don't think so. We're recording here on well, uh, Thursday you've morning. You've got uh, Daniel Carlson got paid. Daniel Carlson, yeah. I mean the guy's tender, I think, right? The yeah, tender. I I mean, I'm sorry, yeah, but still, it's a big tender, second round tender. That's three. Three million change. It's pretty good. Can't lose your kicker. You know he'll eventually get a long term de- term deal. I would assume. I mean he's uh, he's been reliable for him uh, ever since they picked him up. So yeah, that's good. But let's take a few questions before we get out of here. I know a lot of the questions are focused on what is next for the Raiders. What else they can still do? And and like I said, we're recording here Thursday morning. So by the time you're listening to it. They, they may have made other moves, but uh, but we'll still take a couple questions uh, on this. And, and I know you know the safety position is one that people want to hear a lot about because uh, it's, the Raiders haven't addressed it yet. They, they need help at safety. Um, so Michael C. asks, have you heard anything on the market of Anthony Harris? Uh, for the last three days, basically, Deshaun's had him as the the guy at the top of his, uh, his list of best fits remaining. Michael wants to know, have we at least reached out to his reps? Uh, any info on Anthony Harris? I have not heard anything. I've been asking. I've not heard of that uh, that name. So um, my sense is there's such a deep safety market, and they kind of maybe have spent a good deal of money already. They might be going lower on the list, but um, again, he'd be a great fit. And I've always said that if you can bring in two impact guys, you know, impact defensive players this offseason, I think they got a real chance at some real improvement. They brought in one with uh, with Yannick. So, yeah, he's a great player. I just don't know why. It's weird, though. He's still in the market. I don't know what's going on, but um, it is weird to me that he's still out there on, on day three. How much do you think Harris would cost? I would think he'd be like somewhere in that $9 million range. Rayshon Jenkins from the Chargers got like, what, $8 million? And he wasn't—he was not that great last season. I think Harris was probably better than him. And and John Johnson got like eleven. So you would think somewhere between eight to eleven million. And they can get that if they they were to release yeah. or restructure Mariota and Carl Nassib and some of the other guys. Like they can get to that number. So I, I would think they would do that. I know they wanted Jenkins. I know they were blown away with that price a little bit. They thought it'd be a little less. That's a guy, a you know, former Bradley guy, who they really wanted. Him and Michael Davis, the cornerback, with you guys. I think. And Ingram's other guy, Melvin Ingram. But those are the three guys, I think, as far as former Bradley guys that really jumped out from, from the Chargers. But uh, those Davis and, and Jenkins both went for more money than they thought they were going to go for. So um, so definitely they, they know they need a safety. They know they have to add one. If not today, then, then very soon. And they probably want to add a vet, veteran corner too, right? I think so. We had that tampering with Richard Sherman and John Gruden on that podcast, on the Chris Collinsworth podcast. Yeah. And Sherman's still out there, so – I mean, you can definitely see some more one-year deals for a, definitely for a veteran cornerback. I think that's probably a good call. I think they should sign a nickel. Like I'm not, I really don't, I just don't like the idea of getting a veteran, especially like a Sherman. It might cost some more money outside cornerback because then you have to put Damon Arnett in the slot, and you really drafted a guy 19th overall to put him at slot corner. You know, there's, and there's a ton of slot corners on the market that could have, be had pretty cheap. Um, so I just think taking that approach and giving Arnett a, at least a full year to see what he's got. You know, he was beat up for most of last season with various injuries, so we never really got a good look at what kind of player he was. And so, um, you know, I would like to see that that duo of Trayvon Mullen and Damon Arnett, especially you know, since it seems like they're punting until twenty twenty two anyway. You might as well give your young guys some time to show what they got. All right. Next question here from Jeffrey H. Could you explain the cap versus cash difference? We always hear about cap space, but cash seems to be the most important part of decision making. And I mean, I think, you know, Vic, you mentioned that the the cash savings, I think 9.9 million with Rodney Hudson is, is no small detail uh, in, in moving on from him. I think the basic difference is, I mean, salary cap is what you're allowed to spend, but uh, the teams that have more cash on hand just have more flexibility. I mean, you look at uh, the way you can structure a contract, if you have a ton of cash available, you can 
put it a big signing bonus in a deal and then spread that out over all these years. I mean, if you have a bunch of cash, you 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 just you have more flexibility, I think, to spread out all that cap space, and you can pretty much make anything work if you've got a ton of money. Yeah, and the Raiders have always denied it, even back to the Oakland days, but they've been kind of short on cash. I mean, I think that's been a commonly. Uh, held notion around the league. Everyone knows that pretty much, I think. And they came to Vegas to get the brand new stadium, and then they, they had no fans last year. So I think cash is still a problem. So I think when you go to Mark Davis and you're like, you say, hey, man, we're gonna we're gonna get rid of Rodney Hudson. He's like, what? Rodney, I love Rodney Hudson. Like, well, y'all, we're gonna be able to pocket nine point nine million dollars in cash. She's like, all right, that's fine. All right, see you, see you, <laughs> see you, Rodney. But uh, so I think cash is definitely. They'll say it's not, but it definitely is still a concern for. Uh, from Mark Davis and the Raiders. All right, question here from James W. Can you guys talk about what's wrong with the culture? Lack of accountability, lack of investment from Gruden on the D. Is it all the coach's fault, or is there a lack of leadership from key players too? Whatever the root cause, does this get fixed with Gruden leaving, or is this a Mark Davis issue too? That's a meaty question there. Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think anytime you have culture, culture problems, you know, apparently that has to start at the top, you know, and as it stands, you know, John Gruden is running things from a football side, so you have to leave the, the blame at his doorstep. Uh, you know, especially when you talk about guys like Rodney Hudson, like, are we seriously going to you know, try to blame a culture issue on a guy like him with everything that we know? Um, so, yeah, I think you have to put that on Gruden. And, you know, part of it is just, it seems like, you know, they're, they're really, you know, they, they were trying to build a team, team through free agency and that didn't work out. And that came at the sacrifice of, of some of the guys that have been on the roster for a long time. And, kind of, you know, going into building up the team into what has been in recent years. And, uh, you know, some of those guys are very well liked. And so that has a has reverberations throughout the locker room. And when you have so much turnover and guys that don't really know each other and all these new guys coming in every single year, whether it's through free agency or the draft or trades or whatever it may be, uh, it, it makes sense, especially when you aren't winning. Like, it'd probably be different if they were had made the playoffs last year and it was feeling a little bit good. But when you have all this turnover and you're losing constantly, changing different cities, like it makes sense that they would have culture issues. Yeah, to me, I think turnover is a big deal. I think that's the biggest factor. I think you look at, um, I mentioned especially in terms of leadership, like, like take, for example, Nelson Aguilar. It's a guy who found his voice in the middle of last year, became one of their strongest and most you know powerful leaders. And now he's gone. And again, he got you know, a good deal and that's what he wanted and they couldn't match it. But this is an example of a guy, you get a guy who emerges as a guy who can finally be a voice and kind of get somebody to follow a guy who's won a ring, who's showing how you do it the right way to practice and the intensity, and you lose him. So that happens, seems like, every year. And then on defense, you know, it's kind of been a mess. I mean, when your defense is that terrible, it's hard to, to build a, a good culture. And I think um, they have young guys who are trying to become leaders, like hopefully Max Crosby can take that jump this year. And But it hasn't happened, you know, of late. So you need things to happen as far as guys believing that – we can win this year, and if we don't, we're going to be better next year. We're, to, we're building. I mean, it hasn't been a sense of building because a lot of the blocks get you know tossed aside after after one season. I think you look at defensively; it's hard. It's hard for anybody to be a leader unless you're, you know, out there leading on the field, making plays, doing a ton of things. And I mean, Crosby, you know, had a really good rookie year. Um, he, you know, wasn't as productive in the second year. I mean, you've got to be a guy that's like you know, dominating at times and, and just, you know, if, if you're not playing well, it's hard to be a leader. And I think that's why they haven't really been able to develop any leaders on defense because they just don't have anybody that that's playing that well. And losing Hudson on the offensive line, it's going to be a pretty big void in the, the leadership uh, department too. I mean, you know, Colton Miller is, doesn't seem like a big raw, raw type of guy. I mean, I mean, Hudson wasn't, but he's the type of guy that 
would keep everybody accountable, even the coaches. I mean, you know, if, if the coaches didn't get him his his blitz reel or whatever, he, you know, he would get on them. And and who, who's going to take that void now for, for the offensive line? He kind of kept everything together. So I, I think that's a, that's a worrisome thing to think about when it comes to the offensive line, too. All right. Well, we've we've come to you two weeks in a row to talk about offensive line trade so hopefully we aren't here back next week talking about a trade of colton miller but uh i think i think that's probably pretty safe to assume that won't happen they, they can't get rid of the left tackle so all right guys uh it's been, it's been a busy week it's been a fun week and uh we'll see what other moves the raiders make here as, as the first week of free agency first week of the league year gets underway and uh been a good show and we'll uh we'll talk to you guys again sometime down the road see you guys talk to you later adios Yes.